The title of our conversations are Promises and Paradigms. How many of us know that the Lord has made some great promises to us? Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That's good news, isn't it? And as though, and through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know, God delights to bless people. The difficulty in us receiving the blessing is that we're not always walking in the partnership that's necessary for that blessing to come to pass. Jesus promised that we would walk in abundant life. If you have your Bible with you, go to John 10.10. He says that I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. How many of us would like that? I wonder if what you're imagining that looks like is probably slightly different than what I'm imagining that would look like. Because abundant life isn't necessarily that I get everything that I want. Abundant life is that I experience God in the best and most glorious possible way that I can. You see, you can have lots of trinkets and treasures and really lose sight of who God is. You may even have success in people's eyes and not really feel like you're whole or complete on the inside. But this promise of abundant life, it's a huge distraction to me, but more importantly, it's a wonderful invitation to all of us because it includes a number of things. To have abundant life, we need to be emotionally well. Amen? We need to be spiritually awakened. Is there any measure that you would like God to bring increase in your spirituality? Amen? We need to be economically prosperous. Now, not that all the money in the bank is going to keep you happy, because some of the most miserable people I've ever met are wealthy. It's not about what you have, it's about what has you. And if we're distracted by wealth, then we will never truly be satisfied. We will always think that the, the next great thing that we experience or have is going to bring that satisfaction. But the promises that God offers to us require a clearer shift in our thinking and a greater sense of partnership with His purposes. And there are indeed some biblical keys that will help us come into alignment so that we can actually receive from God the blessing and the resources that are available to us. One of the greatest things that needs to change is the paradigm of your mind. Many of us think like we are sinners when in fact God has called us his saints. Now, if you have the mindset of a sinner, you will always walk around as a, an apology. You will always be thinking that you're not worthy. You will always be beating your chest in false humility. But actually, to truly embrace the kingdom, you have to learn to be a son or a daughter, and you have to learn how to think like a saint. We can only receive God's blessing when we think the way God wants us to think, when we see the world from the perspective God would like us to have. And so this afternoon, in the short time that we have together, I want to talk to you about a shift that is necessary for us to come into partnership with what I believe is a kingdom and glorious promise to us from Christ. The first thing I want to talk about in this series is generosity. You will notice in John 3.16 that God models this for us. Now, when we talk about generosity, let's move a little away from money for a moment and, and actually understand that generosity is a posture of heart. It comes out of a perspective on what is or isn't valuable, and it has a power to change everything. So generosity is at the heart of Christianity. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his most precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now God's heart is generous. 
God is so generous, he sent the perfect one, Jesus, to die in your place. God's heart is so generous that he took upon himself the responsibility to deal with your sin that you, the guilty one, may go free. God is so generous that he allowed his precious son, Jesus, who was at the epicenter of all that was important in heaven, to come down in a very humble way and to be crucified publicly, humiliated by all kinds of people. But he rose from the dead on the third day, as the scriptures foretold he would, and he ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God, and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. But God's way and God's instrument of trying to connect you to him was his generosity in sending his son. Someone say Amen to that. Now, I want to just highlight to you that we have a little problem with some things because we want the life that Jesus promises, but we don't want to live the way Jesus lived. And as long as that becomes a difficulty for us, we will never truly inherit the blessing that God has for us. If you want the life that Jesus promised, you must live the life that Jesus lived. There is no alternative route. You can't fast track your way into blessing. It's a humble journey of submission and surrender to the purposes of God. Now, if you want abundance and you want to live in the abundances of God, it comes through the paradigm, say paradigm for me. It comes through the mindset or perspective that is kingdom, not yours. You see, God has a particular way of releasing us into blessing. How many of us know there are some things about God that are a little bit unusual? It says in the scriptures, if you want to gain your life, you need to lose it. Now that doesn't sound like it makes much sense, but actually to truly be alive and to have God flowing in our lives, we need to give up our lives. We need to surrender everything about us to the purposes of God. Yes? The Bible also says, if you want to be great, become the servant of many. How are we doing on that one? Now, many of us would like to have a great life, and we'd like to have a significant life, and we'd like to have a great life, but actually the key is not personal advancement and success. The key in the kingdom is submission. Submission not just to God, but to other people. If you want to be great in the eyes of God, you've got to learn how to submit to the people God's placed around you in authority. How many of us don't like that? We will go all over the world to avoid that reality, but that is the key that opens up the potential that God has for us in our lives. We have to see that God's kingdom is different than the kingdom of the world. What about this one? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I always smile inwardly when I hear that, because the truth is I think the opposite might be true. You know, it's been my birthday this week and I've received many cakes. Thank you when I'm in hospital having a heart attack, please come and visit me, okay? okay. And, and I've, I've had a lot of people say nice things and send me cards and everything. It doesn't look to me on the surface that I feel that blessed when I'm giving. I love to be blessed by receiving. Anybody like me? But actually the kingdom is the opposite to the kingdom of the way I may think or the paradigm by which I lead my life. God says it's a more blessed thing whenever we give. A far more blessed thing, in fact. And that's why giving is really good for us. Because when we give, actually, we're coming into partnership with the one who gave his son. We're coming into alignment with the purposes of God. We're coming into a place where the paradigm of our soul shifts to the paradigm that Kevin, Kevin invites us to, and the kingdom resources begin to be released for us. Let me read you this about Jesus. He was the greatest giver of all, the most generous of all people. Philippians 2 
verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement of being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Listen to this, church. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh-oh. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Uh-oh. Not looking to your own interests. Uh. <laughs> but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what is that mindset? What is it that Jesus saw and understood that we need to see and understand? And the answer is found in verse 6. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further, becoming even obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the paradigm here is that the way up is down. The paradigm here is that greatness is found in humility. The paradigm here is that it's more blessed for me to care about others than to put myself center stage in every part of my life. Now, if I want to be blessed, I've got to work with these things. These are invitations from God to position me for the fullness of blessing Jesus has promised me. Now, here's what happens whenever we live with that paradigm. It says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I want to tell you, church, this afternoon, that Jesus reveals to us the key to the abundant life. It's submission, surrender, and death to self. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. This is a good news sermon. Now that's a contradiction to the way we are trained and taught in the context of our world. For us to be somebody, we have to push ourselves forward. Is that not right? Isn't it a dog-eat-dog -dog world? Don't you have to be the first up and the first dressed and the first to work? Isn't there like a competitive aspect to the way we live our lives? Everyone knows that there's a very few places where we can be blessed. And if you're not first and you're not there and you don't turn up and you're not full, then you're not going to get what you need to get. But the kingdom is different. The kingdom teaches us that God exalts the humble. That when we come to God in full submission, He will make us great in the eyes of other people. You see, God is a good, good Father. What does fathers do? They want their children to do even better than they did themselves. Jesus said, even greater things you shall do than I have done. The heart of God is to make you look great. Now, He may know your weaknesses, failures, and foibles, but actually God shows you off to the world. He takes you when you take the moment to be humble and he elevates you to a place of significance. And in the kingdom of heaven, that's more important than even a better job here on earth. Whenever we are recognized in those areas and those arenas in the supernatural, the natural has to follow suit. Jesus gave up his glory, his freedom, his time, his reputation, the adoration of heaven, his life. Why? Because he understood 
that to truly model what greatness looks like, to truly model the heart of God, he needed to give himself completely and utterly to the will of God. True abundance is only found in exceptional obedience. It's the will of God that you should die to self. Because the more you die to self, the more of Christ you can have formed and fashioned inside of you. Greatness in the kingdom is not discovered through pride or self-promotion, but is found utterly and completely through meekness. So let me give you some examples of that from Jesus' life in the short time we have left. I believe that you are familiar with these scriptures, so I won't ask you to turn to them all, but this comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, which says this. Jesus draws our future. This is what he's telling us. You can draw your future into your present by the way you live your life. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now Jesus is saying, I want you to live every day with that clarity. You can either accumulate stuff here, which ultimately will have no value when your life comes to an end, or you can use the generosity and the opportunities I give you to invest in a glorious future. And as you deposit things on a regular basis out of a heart that's generous, then you will start to see that God opens up the windows of heaven and begins to bless your life. The beauty of this passage for me is found in Jesus' promise that when we invest our resources in the kingdom of heaven, our heart will also be pulled in that direction. Do you know, you can give your way into fullness. Now, I'm not talking about putting money in the plate. I'm talking about living beyond yourself with a perspective that God has set you amongst people so that you can be a blessing for them. You can be a blessing to them. And as you start to give your life away, just like Jesus demonstrates to us, you start to see that the life of Christ is attracted to you. And that which you desire to see in fullness, maybe you think it's far off, will actually start to hunt you down. The psalmist says these words, Surely goodness and mercy will outrun me. It will hunt me down all the days of my life. But listen to the caveat to that reality. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, we want God to do everything for us, but the question is, how much of you will you give to God? When you give your whole life to God, you will start to see that the whole life of Christ is beginning to be formed and fashioned in you. Somebody say amen to that. So you can draw your future into your present. That which you're storing up for yourself through the generosity of your heart, the perspective and the paradigm of your life actually will be drawn to you today. The second thing I think is important to say about this is that generosity attracts favor. Do you know, have you ever been to a restaurant and you mistakenly tipped well? It took me about three months to realize here that often many of the restaurants already have the gratuity factored in. I mean, people thought I was the most generous man on the planet. You know, you, the, the gratuity is, is, is already factored in, and it's usually 10 and sometimes 15%, and I was giving 10 and 15%. I was giving 30% of the bill in generosity. You know, every time I went back to those restaurants, I got the best seat in the house. People remembered us. People were kind to us. People were, why? Because when you're generous, favor is attracted to you. Favor draws the blessing of God to your life. 
And generosity attracts that favor. In Matthew 10, verses 42, listen to these words. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. In other words, you can't outgive God. And you can attract God's blessing to your life through having a generous paradigm. Do you ever wake up in the morning and think, who can I bless today? Ah, I think many of us think, who's going to bless me today? Do you ever come to think to church and think, I wonder, could I be a blessing to the pastor? Do you ever, do you ever think, well, maybe I'll pray for somebody today. Maybe I'll bless somebody with some finances today. Do you know in the New Testament church, that happened all over the place. People gave up their land and their homes and their houses. It was no wonder that the power of the Holy Spirit was moving. People weren't trying to hold on to things. They were delighted to give them to the purposes of God. Now, I'm not asking you to be ridiculous and squander the wealth that God has given you. God knows that we've worked hard enough to attain it. But actually, are we a giver or are we a receiver? And I think sometimes we are so consumeristic in the way we think spiritually that we are not postured ready to give. You could be on the tube on the way home and there may be a divine appointment sitting right next to you, dressed in an outfit that you don't like, smelling in a manner that you have no taste for. But God is no accidental tourist. If he's placed blessing in you, he's placed you amongst people so they can be blessed too. He's no accidental about that. That's intentional. And so we have to think a little bit differently. You think the journey is getting from A to B as quickly as possible? No, 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 no. The journey is getting the kingdom of God out to everyone that I can possibly come in connection with. The third thing and the final thing I'll share with you is this, is having a generous spirit opens our heart to enjoy kingdom relationships. Do you know, sometimes whenever you're very consumeristic in the way you see relationships, you are going to live a lonely life. You know, you can't be in a marriage without understanding that there's give and there's take. When you're in a marriage, you recognize that I give this and you bring this to the table. We both have a partnership of generosity. I wonder if marriages would work better if we were trying to outdo each other in how generous we were to one another. And I'm not talking about gifts. I'm talking about a heart attitude and a, a generous spirit and a, an overwhelming sense of joy to see another blessed more than I want myself to be blessed. You know, over the years, I've pastored many people. And when a marriage starts to fall apart, it usually becomes about the trinity of me, myself, and I. And they turn up in my office and they say, and she doesn't, or he doesn't. And I know instantly that the problem is that you can't see. You can't see what's happened to your heart. In the difficulties that you've faced, you've shut it down. You've stopped being generous. I think the key to a great relationship is to stay generous, even if the other person can't be generous back to you. Isn't that the way Jesus was with people? Isn't that the way Jesus modeled life? So if you want good kingdom relationships, generosity is a must-have. Look at Luke 6, verses 37 to 38. It says, judge not and you will not be judged. Do you know that you're being very generous when you don't judge someone? Hello? Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Now, I know that you don't struggle with these kind of things, but for the benefit of your friend who couldn't make it here this afternoon, okay, aren't you a little judgmental? Come on. 
If you're really honest, don't you kind of think things that you wish you could say but haven't got the guts to say? I know some of you do have the guts to say it. And we want to thank God for the gift of silence in your life immediately. <laughs> but to have a generous spirit opens our heart to enjoy kingdom relationship. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is trying to teach us in these words here that actually generosity is so much more expansive than money. You know, to live with a generous heart and a generous paradigm is to come under the great and glorious fountain of God's provision. When we start to relate to people with that kind of generosity, you will find that your relationships here on earth will start to form gloriously. God will do something wonderful in your life. You see, the Bible tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you hang out with Christians longer than 10 minutes, there's probably condemnation for those who are in the same church as us. We need to step away from that. That's who we were prior to Christ. We have this glorious invitation from God to love one another as Christ has loved the church. In fact, Jesus said, this is how they'll recognize you. Not by the songs you sing or how great the music is or all the things that happen from the pulpit. This is how they'll know you belong to me because your relationships will be good. There will be love amongst you. Turn to the person on your right hand side and say, I think he's talking to you. There'll be love amongst you. To withhold judgment, condemnation, and unforgiveness is to act generously. And in God's economy, it's a reward. It brings a benevolence to our relationships. In fact, it's so benevolent, it's pressed down, shaken together, and running over.